Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. My next guest on Your Cron is Brenda Crosby Averhart, is a Chicago native and is a graduate of Rosary College, AKA Dominican University. Mrs. Crosby Averhart is employed as an administrative statistician for the Department of Obstetric, Obstetrics and Gynecology at John H. Stroger Junior Hospital of Cook County, Illinois, where she has met many individuals with various medical conditions. Coming from the same community as many of the patients, she realizes that it has been God's grace that has kept her. The author's desire to give back and to make a difference comes through her volunteer work in helping others at her place of employment. Brenda, welcome to your cron. Hi, thank you, Scott. <laughs> thank you for the invitation. I certainly appreciate it. Well, it's wonderful to have you. And uh, it just so happens that this is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so uh, the, the timing for this podcast is, is very good. So you are the author of two books, Yellow Scarf, Scarf, A Bittersweet Remembrance, released 2016, and A Journey Through Breast Cancer, released August 13th, 2018. Besides being an author, Brenda, where is a good place to begin your extraordinary story? Um, I think at the beginning. Okay. I think at the beginning, if that's, um, if time allows us to, to do that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, where is the beginning of your story? What, uh, where are we starting? Well, uh, we'll, we'll start with me being pregnant with my uh, beautiful, beautiful daughter, Brandy. And actually, uh, when she was delivered uh, on, on May 9th, uh, 1987, I, I was very joyful to have her. And I was uh, believing I was doing all that was necessary uh, to keep myself healthy and doing the very things that uh, I thought a new mother should be doing. But then being a new mother, one can never know what's right and what's wrong because you, you, you don't have a playbook for it. Mm -hmm. However, uh, at my at my first uh, six week of doctor visit after having my beautiful daughter, uh, I had certain questions asked me, and the first was uh, regarding my period. Had I had a period uh, since I had my, my daughter, and this was after, uh, after six weeks, and I hadn't as of yet. And um, so they took several tests, 
uh, blood work samples. And when I did uh, come back to receive the, the uh, to receive the results of the sample, they told me that I had went through premature menopause uh, six months after I had my baby, which you know I had no idea or I didn't I didn't know what to think uh, regarding that because I was so young at that time. And um, during that same time, my mother, who was uh, in her 40s, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I really didn't have a lot of time to really worry about myself being uh, diagnosed with premature menopause. Um, and they really didn't tell me, you know, why. Um, and I believe that um, I was so, I was naive and I wasn't aware and I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't proactive about my health, so I didn't ask why this had occurred with me. However, they placed me on uh, hormonal therapy, which is called HRT, and I took it for years without stopping. And, um, I, you know, I, I basically continued and uh, in the process of taking it and, and raising my beautiful daughter, I met my husband, Michael, who uh, also worked at Scrocher, and we, we, we married, uh, we were, we were uh, married by our, uh, our, our reverend, our, our, our minister, uh, and that was quite beautiful. And a year later, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, and I uh, was not. Um, I guess I wasn't expecting the result because, first of all, it did not run in my family, and I, you know, I, I didn't know how to act. Uh, I didn't know what to say. I certainly was, you know. I was hit so hard by, you know, this diagnosis that I really didn't know what to do. So um, my husband, uh, he was, of course, alarmed, and he didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know what to do with my daughter. She was 12 years old, and she didn't know what to do, of course. But we, we just drew closer to God, and we drew closer to one another. And that's basically how um, my story began uh, with this cancer. We uh, grew closer to one another, and my address or the, the words that I was dependent on and that was my meaning pole was James, the first chapter, where it says, count it all joy when you experience divergent, divergent uh, temptations of you know trials and tribulations because what God is doing is perfecting you. So basically, that was what I basically grasped onto, uh, irregardless of the the midst of challenging challenges that I was having. I just held on to the word of God, knowing that irregardless of me falling, that I, I would get up because I I just knew that God had me. Well, I took uh, chemo uh, after I had, you know, after I was diagnosed, let me go back, um, the, the uh, oncologist, my surgeon, told me that the type of cancer that I had was aggressive, 
And because it was aggressive, that I would need to be just as aggressive with my treatment plan, or if not more aggressive. Mm. So uh, after the diagnosis, I uh, went into surgery um, that following week. And it was, you know, it was so different because I wasn't alarmed. I wasn't really anxious, no anxiety. it was that peace that surpasses all human understanding that I had because I noticed that everyone else was around me were nervous and didn't know what to do. Uh, but for me, I I was as cool as a cucumber, hmm. uh, knowing that God had my had my back. And um, the day that I went into surgery, I. Um, Basically, the anesthesia uh, anesthesiologist uh, told me, he says, well, you know, I'm going to put you to sleep or, you know, count to 100, 100, and I followed his directions, and the next time I woke up, the surgery was done, Mm -hmm. and I was still in a good uh, mood. I I didn't know what I should have expected. But it wasn't, I wasn't down, I wasn't out, and I just basically knew that I would get through this because, you know, my God is a deliverer, okay? So, you know, I, 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 went, through the, I went through the challenge of the surgery, and while I was taking my chemo, they added the radiation. I think I had about 33... Um, uh, 33, uh, I call them, visits for radiation or shots of radiation. So I had 33 visits where I went to get it in. And that is what really took my strength away. I was I was so tired from the radiation and the, you know, the chemo pair together mm-hmm. that I, I remember her taking my daughter for tutoring at um, Church in Oak Park, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I would sleep while she was being tutored. And when it was time to go, I would wake up. That's how tired and how drained I was from this uh, radiation. And um, But I did get through it, and I continued to go. And I, I, I guess my mindset was it, was, it wasn't a dark mindset. It was a mindset where I uh, continued to you know, believe that life continues to to go, <laughs> to go on. And I found that once my my surgery, because I did get a, a lumpectomy, had healed, that I went back to work. And I, you know, I did what I normally would do. I would even work later. And uh, on Fridays, I would take off and, and I would have you know, my chemo and my radiation and all that. I I would uh, have my down moments and my, you know, throwing up or whatever I did during that time. And I would get right back up to go to work on Monday. And and I think the the environment that I was working in was just so healthy for me and supportive that, you know, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't see myself not going. And after I finished my treatment, I found that the very people that I worked with 
they found that I, I had inspired them and that just blew me away because I had no idea that people were watching me so closely mm-hmm. that um, I inspired them. So, I, you know, that made, uh, that, that really moved me, especially the people that I worked with and the people that I got to know. I mean, there were uh, people that were taking treatment at the same place that I was taking my treatment. And many of them did not make it. Of course, uh, that was not a good time for me to to watch other survivors not, you know, not finish the round. Um, that was that was breathtaking for me. And um, I found that the only way that I could fight this this battle, you know, was through doing advocacy, and I found that uh, joining the support group, Apostolic uh, Church of God, uh, Breast Cancer Support Group, I learned so much. Uh, I learned about, you know, from the speakers, they had a different speaker that came in um, once a month, and they talked about eating, uh, they talked about um the type of bras and they had a plastic surgery uh, persons to come in and talk about reconstruction. And uh, I mean, they had so many different kinds of people to come in. Uh, they uh, came in and, and just talked about lymphedema, which is, you know, uh, which is something that someone that has surgery uh, could could be infected or they could get, uh, which causes a swelling of the arm uh, for breast cancer patients, and there's no cure for it. And it looks it's, it's abnormally big, mm. and there's there's nothing really that you can do. But um, they had all kinds of people, and that's where I, I learned most of the stuff that I have learned to, to help me and for me to be uh, an advocate the way I am. Uh, and so what I, I decided to do after going to the support group and, and seeing many of the doctors that worked at the same hospital I worked at, I decided to do my own uh, breast cancer awareness event in my community. And the very doctors that I worked with and that I knew from college that were doctors, they would come out and they basically uh, would talk and, you know, and that made me feel like I was making a contribution that my glass was half full instead of half empty. And um, the first time I did this, I didn't have a lot of people uh, come, but all of the speakers were on target. They were on point. But I learned what I needed to do the next time that I uh, would do uh, an event. And so the next event I did was at my hospital. And the way I did it was I uh, contacted many of the churches. I went to the out, uh, outlying uh, clinic and um, posted flyers. I did uh, whatever was necessary, call people, call patients, mm-hmm. and invited them. And 
at this event, I had about 150 to 200 people to come. Wow. We had speakers, we had workshops, and it was just awesome. And, you know, my focus wasn't that I was a cancer victim. I, I, I didn't feel like a victim, although um, I, you know, was diagnosed with cancer. I felt that, you know, uh, I was making my survival, I was working my survivorship. I was working it and not letting it work me. And I continue to this day to do events. I spearheaded, spearheaded the first breast cancer event that we had at our Stoker Hospital. And we've been doing it for 11 years now. Um, October the 5th, we did our 11th uh, breast cancer event. And it was awesome because the very book I published every patient and their guests received one and that you know was awesome Wonderful. for me and to be able to share my story mm -hmm. uh, with people mm -hmm. um so i i look at myself as a person that has a um a lot to offer uh because of my uh experience and i did not I chose not to be reconstructed. Uh, and when I look at myself uh, in the mirror, I don't look at a person without, you know, without having all of her uh, breath or, I, I just don't look at myself as a victim. I look at myself as a person who has made it a long way because of the grace of God. And I continue to do so, and I continue to make movements. And I, I look at myself as being a person that will, will live until she dies. Um, I heard this young lady at uh, an event. She had uh, been diagnosed with HRV, and her mother and all her siblings had died from it. But it was one thing that she said. She said that she was going to live until she died. And that was just so inspiring because, you know, we know in life that we may make, have falls and we know that things occur. But we also know that that's something that happens in life and Hopefully, we believe that we're going to get up again, whereas I believe that they happen and I fall, but I, I believe that I, I, I know that I'm going to get up again. So this is just a, a point in my life where cancer uh, came, but it didn't, it didn't destroy me, and I look at it as a means of, you know, triumph because it didn't destroy me because God did not allow it to. God allowed me to survive this, this, this disease, and he placed in me a desire to want to help other people. Not being perfect, I'm no means a perfect individual, but I am imperfect and fall short of the grace of God. But even in that state, I am still able to share my testimony and believe that what I experienced was to help my fellow man. And, uh, and my experience 
has been placed in the book uh, that I wrote called A Journey Through Breast Cancer. And it goes way beyond this conversation that I'm having with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I um, even included a poem <laughs> that I wrote uh uh, regarding uh, having or delivering my, my daughter, you know, and it, I think it's really a cute poem. And uh, what's in it is my um, my testimony, my experience um, and with being a, a patient, my experience and being an advocate, and my experience in learning that when you care for people and you, you know, and they die, it, it teaches you that you have to hold things in this world loosely because, you know, there's a price in caring and there's a price in loving someone. And uh, many of the patients and other survivors like myself that I've met and have grown close to they have died and I've been floored by it and it's taught me that caring for people is uh, is challenging and it comes with risk and you know you you have to hold things loosely in this world or you you know you you have lots of challenges if you don't and so I've learned that you know, I, I continue and I I take uh, my experience of um, and camaraderie that I've had with other survivors and I put it in my bank of memory and I take it to my heart, but I continue to go on and I continue to give until I can't give anymore um, because that's my journey. And then I've uh, also included in my book uh, a chapter uh, talking about uh, prevention uh, that's basically uh, authored by our breast oncologist. And, and she talks about what breast cancer is and the, the different kinds and the lifestyle that's good for, you know, preventing breast cancer. And... Um, and it's, it's really a, a great tour uh, through what cancer is and how to treat it and, and what you can do to minimize your risk of having breast cancer. And then in my book, I also include uh, the survival statistics uh, and the various rates of survival of, uh, of breast cancer. And I also am, uh, I added uh, information from the Chicago uh, Metropolitan Task Force regarding uh, the disparities in uh, health care between black and white women and, um, and the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the decisions that they made to reduce the disparity and bring self-care closer to being, you know, parallel between black and white women. And also I've included uh, a chapter uh, by my husband 
a chapter by my daughter because when you're affected by this disease, it's not just you. It, it affects your entire family. And so they put their perspective uh, in the book. Uh, my daughter was 12 at the time, and um, they're sharing what they what they experienced. And uh, I also include um, a chapter on various resources nationally, various support groups uh, all over the country, um, various uh, resource centers that uh, you can call regarding traveling uh, at a discounted rate when you're, you know, when you are trying to get to a place that can help you with your health. So I've tried my best to to make this book as powerful as I as I possibly could make it. And also there's a biblical verse at the beginning of every chapter that sort of gives you an idea of, you know, what the chapter may have in it. It's uh it's uh, not only a breast cancer <laughs> awareness uh book, but it's also uh, faith journey um, that that the book will share with you. So uh, I'm, you know, just someone uh, that's just trying to tell a lot of people about being a champion uh, in this this thing called breast cancer and allowing God to direct your path while you're in it and also knowing that your mental attitude plays a great portion in how, you know, you go through breast cancer. Mm. And that also exercising, which deals with the lifestyle, which is also in the book, also uh, reduces your risk for breast cancer. There was an article that just came out uh, not too long ago uh, that's basically talking about how um, when you're postmenopausal, reducing your weight uh, significantly reduces your risk of having breast cancer because normally as you get older, your risk for breast cancer uh, increases. So there's so you know many things that we could do to try to to help ourselves and. Um, Presenting ourselves from getting this disease, and I've placed it in my book, and uh, and I'm hoping that this discussion that we're having will also be something that someone else can gander something from. Uh, so that's basically uh, what I have to say. Do, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> I got to say, Brenda, normally, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so, whatever we're into the podcast by this time, I've asked several follow-up questions, but I have been so inspired listening to you. I wasn't dare going to interrupt, <laughs> but and since you asked, uh, I, I do have a couple of uh, uh, questions just to, um, well, first of all, I want to remind our audience the the title of, a, of the book that I think that you're primarily talking about is a journey through breast cancer released uh, August 13th, 2018. 
And Brenda's first book, Yellow Scarf, A Bittersweet Remembrance, was released 2016. And of course, we'll put all this information on our website at yourcron.com. Going back to, I just, uh, I'm, I'm curious the, the timeline of your, when you found out you had cancer, just for, um, for sake of knowing where we were technology-wise in medical advancements in, in cancer, what what year was that that you you learned that you had cancer, Brenda? Um, I was diagnosed uh, in 2000. Me and a lot of survivors, we always say that we're from the class of 2000. Mm. So I'm from the class of 2000. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And then... Uh, your your daughter uh, was held at that time. She was twelve years old. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, talk a little bit more now. That I've kind of established her age. How you approached her with your cancer and, and telling her and communicating her what was going on with your cancer. Hmm. Well. I guess the way I I try to minimize um, what I shared with her because she had been around so much sickness already. Uh, with my mother being diagnosed with Alzheimer's in her forties, and my daughter was being was a baby. Um, I had two babies, my mother and my daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was with me all the way to the end when my mother couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't mm-hmm. feed herself, couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And she had been around so much and dealing with my dad having Parkinson's. So I, I really tried to, I didn't want to expose her to to anymore because it, it seemed like her life had been, her little young life had been absorbed or not absorbed, but had been, she had been exposed to so much sickness mm-hmm. that I didn't see her childhood as joyful or as, I shouldn't say joyful, but I didn't have the opportunity to get her into a lot of uh, joyful, exciting things as I would like to uh, because of the circumstances surrounding us. Mm. So when I told her, I basically, you know, told her about the cancer and, you know, that it was, that it was just, um, it was something, it was something foreign in my body and, that we were going to do our best to 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 fight this with uh, spiritual uh, prayers and also utilizing the medical profession because God made them too, mm-hmm. and that we will fight this together. Uh, and actually, at that time, Scott, I was although I worked in a, a the medical profession, I was quite ignorant to what breast cancer was. Mm-hmm. So when when I found out, you know, I was like, 
not believing it to a point where I was almost telling my doctor, well, let's not pursue it because it's probably nothing anyway. Mm-hmm. But when I found out it was something, you know, my first thought was of my child because, you know, she had been through so much and I really didn't want her to have to go through anything else. But at the same time, as you know, sometimes a cancer diagnosis can also is a close is could be very close to, you know, taking your life and you have to be honest and you have to share, but it's always the manner and how you do the sharing. So I just told her that that the cancer was in my body and that the medical profession was going to do everything uh, to 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 uh, deliver a victory for your mom. And with this cancer, we have an army. Uh, we have an army working against this cancer, and uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be okay. I I just had that attitude that I was going to be okay, and and to me that's not normal because I'm I'm a very hyper person and I'm sometimes all over the place. But with this situation, I was I was calm and cool and. And actually, when when uh, I had the when I had the surgery, and the first thing that we wanted to do, because it was close to the Coleman Law, our first journey, me and my daughter together, was doing the Susan Coleman Law. Mm. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and we, I mean, it was like, okay, we're we're not. I tried my best not to give her. Uh, the attitude or the 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 feeling of where your mommy's a victim mm-hmm. or uh, this is you know this is going to take my life it's going to you know um, it's, it's going to impact my lives in such a way that we won't be able to survive it or we will not be able to um, go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just could not I, I just would not allow that type of mentality to invade um, my home. Mm. Um, it was always prayers. It was always um, uh, something that we were doing that would keep us uh, feeling strong spiritually uh, as well as mentally. And um, the first, I think the first thing that happened when I got out of the hospital, I still had the Jackson Pratt where, you know, uh, connected to me. Mm-hmm. And they capture all of the drainage from the, the surgery. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that we did, we went for pancakes. <laughs> me, my, my family, and Jackson Pratt, too. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Um, I don't know. It's the way I'm, uh, the way that I'm put together is, you know, different. Uh, I mean, because God makes all of us different. But my mentality was the type. Well, you know, we still got to go on. We got to live. You know, um, if you fall down, you just have to get back up again. You know, and I prepared my daughter in such a way that 
if something happens to me, she already knows that she's going to go on because I have taught her. You know, um, we all have a mortality that we have to face. Mm -hmm. And rather than hiding it or uh, playing games, uh, you have to come face to face with it so you will understand, you know, your life and how valuable and how how uh, you have to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. So that's the type of life um, that I've shared with my daughter, and I think she gets it. And my husband being a... Uh, being a, a strong believer, he also, you know, was praying. And I was diagnosed a, a, a year after we were married. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, devastating for him. And, of course, he puts that in the book. But as a family, we united. We prayed together. He washed my hair. We, you know, we lived in his basement apartment with... A, a bathroom with a shower without a tub, but we made the best of it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he was my cheerleader with me and Brandy walked the walk. My daughter has participated in every breast cancer event, my entire family, that I've done. Uh, and, I mean, but to the point where she's even done anti-violence uh, conference in our community in Chicago. So, you know, it's a learning experience. Life is a learning experience. And, you know, what you put in is exactly what you get out. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, my daughter, she, you know, she has wisdom. And that wisdom is from God and the very experiences that she has had living and growing in a household where she has heard the, the strength and the power and the joy of the God that we serve, mm -hmm. the mighty God that we serve. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, there are times, of course, that I felt like a midget in the land of gladiators, but you still have to confront the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I do not keep any of that from my child. Mm -hmm. I, I never have and I never will. And my husband, he's just as vigorous in life, uh, living it, and knowing that even in the midst of trouble, we still stand up in that midst because of the God that we serve. I don't know if I answered you, Scott, but I should try. <laughs> you are doing wonderful, Brenda. We are very excited to have a new sponsor at Yorkron. Luxury men's clothing lines Thaddeus and Tad are now combined on one website. They belong to the same family, they share DNA, might as well have their clothes all in the same place too. Both brands are typically sold at Nordstrom's, Bergdorf's, and unique upscale boutiques, but you can find them online at thaddeusandtad.com. Thaddeus, the uncle, is a collection of sportswear for the man who always arrives well-dressed, but sometimes breaks the rules. Quality fabrics are important, but so are comfort, fit, and details. Some of the pieces are washed and weathered, others more crisp. Thaddeus is designed for the man who is current and comfortable in his own skin. Tad, the younger nephew, is more rugged, 
more washed and weathered but willing to learn from the past. Tad is the nephew of Thaddeus, sharing the same namesake and DNA but interpreted for a new generation of sportswear. Tad is more casual, suggesting a more worn-in, easy look. The fit is slightly slimmer and trimmer. Tad fits the mind and body of a man who wants to put his own stamp on the traditions he has inherited. For menswear that is a tad dressy and a tad disheveled, shop online at ThaddeusandTad.com. get your wonderful strength your work ethic how much of it is is was taught maybe within your family how much of it is just how you're wired is a little both where 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 does all that come from brenda well um i think it's i would have to say that uh that it comes from God, but the type of family that I was raised in, my father was a military man, and he would have us up at the at six in the morning because he said he didn't want us to be lazy. <laughs> my, my father worked 34 years mm. uh, for the city. He only missed two days of work out of all of those years. Two days, um, oh my goodness. We, I, I worked since I was 15. Mm. Uh, when we lived in New Jersey, I I picked strawberries and string beans. Uh, so, you know, I come from a family that basically have worked very, very hard. My mother has scrubbed floors and you know, uh, educated herself. We went to school at the same time, the same school together. Uh, so we're always, we were always trying to accomplish something. You know, if I'm, if something was wrong, my mother would give me an encyclopedia and tell me, go in there and read, <laughs> you know. And sure. um, I just, you know, and what's so amazing, I find, is that my family, although we were poor, we felt like we were rich. We were rich in spirit. You know, mm-hmm. we had hand-me-downs, we had all of that, but we were rich. Mm-hmm. And my family were the type of people that will give you the, the uh, shirt off their back. Mm-hmm. They were always helping people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's I, where I believe I get my giving and wanting to help people from is my mother and father because they will give their last to, you know, homeless people. Uh, I remember this lady had nowhere to stay, and my parents uh, let this woman uh, live in our, uh, our finished basement for over a year until she got herself together. She did not have to pay a cent. So I say that to say that my parents, they worked. They didn't expect anything. They worked. We worked for what we got. And we learned to help other people. And that 
that legacy lives on in me. My brother does the same thing. Um, my brother, uh, he's, he's an awesome man of God. He travels all over the world, but he, in the meantime, he's a guitarist, and they teach the inner-city children music, uh, and they take them to a different country every year. And, uh, and you know, it's fulfilling to give back. And that's what our parents have taught us, you know. Um, and basically, that's from God. God says, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can't do that, then, you know, that's one of the two two greatest commandments. Love your God, you know, every, everything within you. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So those are things that I, that, that I have... To go on. My grandfather, when he was sick, he would have all the grandchildren come to him and he would say, I want to hear about the master. Mm. You know, and I mean, they were sharecroppers. My family were farmers mm. and they we lived great lives, great lives. They are wonderful people. They lived to be 108, 103, and they grew everything they ate, uh, self sufficient. But uh, we have a wonderful work ethic and we learn to laugh and joke and cry. I mean, that's all a part of living, you know. And if you can't do that, can you actually say that you have lived? And there's one thing my husband tells me. He says, you know, everything here is temporary. Mm-hmm. He says, the very car that I drive, somebody else may drive it one day. The house we live in, <laughs> we understand that. Mm. So we try to make the best, the very best of the little that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and understanding that the riches, you know, the riches that we have, is not from the world. It's from the spirit of God that's in us and how we treat one another. That's where the treasure is. That's where it's at. Mm. Yeah, that's where it's at. Great words. Boy, 108 and 103. I, I could do a whole another podcast uh, asking, you know, about what they ate. And I know you mentioned they ate what they grew, but man, that is incredible to live that long. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, they, they basically grew everything. Uh, peanuts, uh, watermelon, cantaloupe, uh, cabbage, everything. They fish, um, they hunt. Um they did all of it. They jelly. I've even helped them um, twist chicken necks. <laughs> <laughs> Living so, off the land. You know, it's all about, you know, it's all about living the life that God has called you to live and glorify him in everything you do. You know, and understanding that, you know, I mean, when I lost my mother, that was the hardest thing for me. And that's why I wrote the book, Yellow Scarf, A Bittersweet Remembrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the hardest things that I had to do because I wasn't taught that I was going to lose her. That's why it was so important for me to, you know, 
share that with my daughter that one day I won't be here mm-hmm. physically, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, it, um, it, it's just, uh, something to, to, you know, live this life, uh, the best that you can and also be able to, to apply the things that you've learned you know, I mean, because you can learn from anything or anybody mm-hmm. if you humble yourself. And my daughter, she always tells me, she says, she said, Mommy, she says, I want to just be humble. She just purchased herself a building, some property. Mm. And she says, Mommy, she says, I just want to be humble. I don't want to be big headed. I just want to be humble. And that's one thing we teach in our household, my husband. Um, that it's good to walk in humility because that's the only way that you can learn. You know, uh, like Christ humbled himself and he came here to help us and deliver us and save us, we too must walk in humility Mm -hmm. so that we are able to gander all of the things that he has for us, you know, whereas... uh, we know that there are people that are very powerful, uh, as this world would say, but I think the most powerful person is a person that's able to walk in humility and gander the wisdom that God provides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. I like that. I want to, uh, I want to ask you, <clears throat> of course, you're in the medical profession, where did that interest come from? Did you go to college knowing you wanted to be in the medical profession, Brenda? Or how did that develop your uh, career? Where, where did that interest start? Well, this is actually really something because I went to a rosary and I got my, I got a, a, my degree in a business. You know, I used to always talk about, oh, I want to, you know, have a business or, you know, do this and, and then um, I had the opportunity to work for Internal Revenue Service as a, a tax investigator. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was young, and I uh, wanted to be a, a revenue agent. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to school and got my degree in accounting. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now I'm ready. But then I started, you know, I started working at Stroger Hospital uh, once I once I got um, uh, the job. I started working there, and I did um, I did a health fair in our community. Uh, this was when I it was after college. I was still, you know, young. I wasn't uh, involved with anyone. Uh, me and my girlfriend Cheryl, we we had. Uh, we had a health fair in our community, uh, and that was in the 80s. When we had uh, several of the doctors from our department come out and teach workshops, and you know, uh, the the stores uh, provided uh, hot dogs and hamburgers and uh, for the kids, and we had balloons, and you know, and it was just something that I really liked and it, it just filled me on the inside. Mm-hmm. So 
I had an interview at Internal Revenue Service, <laughs> and they told me that I had the job. Mm-hmm. But I felt that, I don't know, I just felt that I, I wanted to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, I chose to stay, stay at Soldier. I was born at that hospital. My daughter was born there, and I just wanted to make a difference. And and I thought, you know, after a while, I just thought that I would uh, make a more of a difference doing that. And, and the doctors that I work with, they're I mean, I mean, they're old school doctors. They're not like these young whippersnappers that are working <laughs> now. And they they were the best. They, you know, they taught me so much from even even the the pronunciation of a bilateral hysterectomy, you know, <laughs> and of course that's when you take out that's a procedure for removing ovaries. But I mean, it was something that we did together and then watching them, you know, in their professional state and and how they cared for the patients and how they would take their time and and seeing patients and helping patients that, you know, I said, no, this is for me, you know, and I've been there 30 years. Uh, I celebrated 30 years there September the 12th, and I'm still believing that I have something to offer. Uh, not only do I uh, continue to work with the Breast Cancer Awareness event, I do uh, a cancer one-on-one of, of class every month where everybody, I mean, individuals that are recently diagnosed with cancer, any type of cancer, they come to that class. And in that class, we have um, fellow uh, fellow. Uh, physicians, they that means they are already they graduated from their residency, but they're you know going for more uh, knowledge uh, in their special in their specialty, mm-hmm. and that specialty would be oncology, you know, which is basically you know oncology is is about cancer, mm-hmm. and uh, they will they will come and they will talk about what cancer is. Mm-hmm. Then we will have uh, a chemo specialist to come in, and she will uh, sh- she will talk about chemotherapy, uh, and that's where most of the patients uh, ask their questions about chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And then we have someone that will talk about uh, the social social references of the oncology oncologist uh, social worker mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, a palliative care of social worker she's awesome and she would come and she will talk about being mindfulness and uh, addressing the anxiety that you know comes with uh, cancer diagnosis and addressing uh, your treatment. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we and we will have a different a speaker from a different department every month talk about something like we'll have someone from radiation therapy come and talk about you know radiation therapy, you know, uh, your radiation uh, treatment, and uh, then we'll have somebody that comes from uh, endocrinology and talk about 
um, how to eat, you know, what, you know, good, especially being a, a cancer survivor, uh, what kind of foods uh, you can eat to buck up your weight, to, you mm -hmm. know, to, to help you, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of times you have people that are going through treatment and their, their blood count goes really low. So the way you eat is very significant in how well you do mm -hmm. in your treatment. And, you know, so this is something that I coordinate and I love doing it. And and it has nothing to do with what I was hired to do. I volunteered uh, doing this. And I'm also uh, the community outreach coordinator for our hospital cancer committee. So, you know, I do uh, different things outside of uh, the hospital. I try to basically um, uh, reach people on the outside uh, and I am able to to have doctors from that committee basically uh, come and talk about various cancers uh, to educate our community. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel that this is a ministry for me. Uh, anytime someone can call me and, and say thank you, to me, that lets me know, that confirms to me that I'm doing something to to be helpful. And even if I don't get a thank you, you know, I know that that I'm doing what God has called me to do. Yeah. You know, I've been doing it now for at least uh, 17 years. I've been volunteering. I've been working with people on the national uh survival uh national cancer survival day celebration i helped with that and i uh, you know am quite uh active in that area and i don't even get paid for it but i shouldn't say that because the pay that i get is much better than money mm. you know it's a, yeah. it's a heart treasury you know it's a spiritual bank yeah. and uh yeah. So, yeah. I bet I'm speaking for a lot of people right now when uh, I say that there's quite a few folks that are happy you decided not to be an IRS agent. <laughs> 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 what an amazing career you. you've had, Brenda. And uh, again, Brenda's books are Yellow Scarf and A Journey Through Breast Cancer. Um do you have any plans for future books, Brenda? Yeah, I I would like to to write on mental health, you know, because there's such a stigma attached to it, uh, and a lot of people, you know, don't pursue help because of that stigma, and you find that there's not a lot invested in that area. Matter of fact, you find that there are places that are being closed. And when you see people laying in the streets and they're homeless and they, you know, they don't have anywhere to turn. And, and if they took a pill, maybe that would help them. Uh, if they had some type of counseling, maybe that will help them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, we we seem to be living in times where we think more of our animals than we do people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry to 
No, I'm not sorry to say that because I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see people uh, that are begging and people that are hungry, and this is one of the richest countries in the world, I don't think that should be. And I think that a lot of the 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 things or the conditions or the issues that people have are treatable. But because the mental health, uh, the mental to mental health uh, areas reduced and shut, you know, so many places are shut down. Mm-hmm. Then you don't you don't have it. I mean, I was in a meeting today and we were just discussing uh, for the physicians having uh, traumatic counseling because, uh, irregardless of what profession you're in, you're human. Mm-hmm. And you experience things, uh, especially in, in a medical profession, you, you experience losses all the time. And being human, you need that counseling. And basically, they were talking about, you know, setting up or getting resources for, um, for the providers, the clinicians, to have counseling, you know, from certain uh episodic events that happen that impact them in a way that they will need to be debriefed or just you know someone to discuss with them or talk to them about you know uh traumatic events that happen so i i think that you know mental health is something that i would like to try to tackle and uh and I, I think I would do well in doing that because I see it every day. And, you know, um, and not only that, but, you know, we all can could benefit from talking to somebody. Everybody needs someone to talk to uh, about something uh, or, some, you know. And, um, and I, I just think that people... Um, People need people, and mental health is a way of uh, doing that. But I strongly believe in mental health, and I know uh, a lot of people may disagree, but I believe in mental health that's basically founded on a spiritual foundation. You know, um, that's what I would support, and that's what I would write about. Mm. Yeah. Well, Brenda, this has been uh, beyond amazing for me, uh, this conversation. I, I can't thank you enough for being here. And um, I'm sure our listeners are very inspired as much as I am listening to you. Well, if you, if you like, I'll read a poem to you from my other book. I would love to hear a point from you. I, I was going to ask earlier, but I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe she wants to save it for uh, those that get her book. Yeah. But absolutely, read away. Uh, Thank you very much for offering. Uh, is it okay? Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. for every uh, graduating class that's kind of uh, 
us uh, describe them, every uh, resident doctor's graduation. And this class were all, they were all women. <laughs> and that's why it's called Flower. Okay. You ready for me? I am ready, yes. Okay. Budding flowers, each bearing beauty in her own truth. A brilliant shining as we go forth to mend the four corners of humanity. Awareness unveils compassion, fires the furnace of our souls, heating our spirits until they rise and spill into the threads that burn the reason to search. We have traveled deep within, gaining in truth, they are many. The grains of our memories are plenty, like sand on a windblown dune that build the shores of today. Yesterday's fields are the breeding ground we have crawled, walked, run, and yet fallen upon. Still coming forward, still coming on. We are different in our faces. We are one in spirit. We share. We flourish. We are flowers. We dare to dream better tomorrow. Trembling with readiness, we come. Prepared to blossom. Prepared to carry forth the warmth and light of knowledge given us. Prepared to hope, to heal, to bring to life the dream. That's flower. Wonderful. Brenda, I like to end my podcast with a legacy question of sorts. Um, we'll go there now. If in a hundred years people are listening mm-hmm. to this podcast in some form, what do you mm-hmm. want them to take away from this recording about you, perhaps about your career or anything in general? Mm. that that there are solutions in life, in this life, and that, you know, uh, there, there are deeper things planted within us that only can come from God. And that through my life that I have I have laughed, I have cried, I have had fun, I've enjoyed people, I've appreciated uh, the good and the bad. And regardless of my challenges, I continued. I always continue. And that's only because This life is worth living. This life is so worth living. And if nothing else, I would hope that no matter what is presented to you, that you will 
try to see the golden moment that's been your struggle. And that struggle comes only to make you stronger. And without struggle, you cannot grow. And always meet your endeavors humbly and treat people the way you wish to be treated. And that irregardless of what life gives you, whatever lemon make lemonade. That's it. That's all I can think of. That is great. Thank, Brenda, thank, you. thank you so much. And uh, I, there's just so much to take in from uh, speaking with you tonight. I hope when you get the uh, next book written or anytime uh, you'd consider coming back on this podcast, your Cron and, and sharing more with us. It's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Scott. And I'm, I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to talk with you. I, like I said, I've never been on a podcast, but the uh, individuals that connected us, I I appreciate them, and I think they're the greatest. And if you're their friend, then I think you're one of the great ones, too. <laughs> well, thank you. And I am fortunate to be their friend, so uh, I thank them as well. But Brenda, thank you so much, and uh, have a great rest of the evening. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. God bless you and your family and your audience as well. Thank you as well, Brenda.